again, everyone. Um, we're going to be looking at um, 1 Thessalonians, bits of it anyway, um, page 188. So if you want it to refer to, maybe you'd have the, the passage open and we can, um, and then you can check what I'm saying is from the Bible. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I just say thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to come and worship you in freedom. I pray, Lord, that we would pay special, special attention to what we can learn from your word. Lord, um, life is fragile. Life is sometimes short. But our hope and our security and our salvation can be found in you. So let's encourage one another all the more as we see your return approaching. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Encouragement is a wonderful spiritual gift to possess and also even better to share with others. I'm wondering if it's even better still to be on the receiving end of someone with a gift of encouragement. In the context of com contemplating about death and resurrection, encouragement is the main theme that weaves its way through 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Chapter 4, 18, encourage one another with words. Chapter 5, verse 11, encourage one another, build each other up, as in fact he'd spotted that they were doing. Chapter 5, verse 14, Encourage brothers and sisters in Christ through instructions about godly living. They're to cheer up those who are discouraged, to help the weak, to be patient with everyone. I'm sure that we could add to that list. Um, the gospel encouragement is to bring hope in the face of of death and disaster and challenge. I'm not sure um, when we think about um, encouragements in our own lives, if any will sort of fit the bill in terms of that. I'm sure we've had some encouragements. I just want to share a couple of things with you. Um, I suppose under the theme of wasn't expecting that. Um, some of you might know I worked um, in the city uh, left in 1999, not really had very much to do with people I used to work with since then. Um, but one person did get in touch to me and invite me to his wedding. I went to the wedding. I discovered a guy there who was a real womanizer who'd given his life to the Lord and was an elder of a Baptist church. But that's by the by. Um, this friend, Charlie, um, sort of in touch very occasionally, when I moved in, he spotted that I'd come to, to Claygate. He got in touch. He said he was going to come to the church. He hasn't been yet. Uh, he lives in Rygate. There's better churches in Rygate, maybe. I don't know. Um, but um, then my next message, it was almost on the day that I was licensed here. He texted me to say that, Ruti, there was a group of us that used to trade gas oil. We sort of knew each other, couldn't get away from each other in this trading pit. But some of them, it was sort of quite superficial. But um, Charlie, my sort of friend, said that Ruti's committed suicide. So he thought he'd better let me know 
maybe some of what we shared about death and resurrection when I was working with him prompted him to get in touch with me. Then later in the year, he gets in touch again. Leon, who used to work to one side of me, uh, he died as well. Um, he um, probably used to indulge a little bit too much in special substances when he was young and had a weak heart and uh, went to meet his maker quicker than might otherwise have been expected. And me and Charlie, we met. He wanted words of encouragement for people. And um, he cared about these people. And we met near Waterloo and had a lunch together in January 1919. A year later, he texts me again. Someone else called James has committed suicide. Life is short. Wasn't expecting that. Earlier this year, on the 8th of July, 2019, I had an email headed Urgent Police Matter from Inspector Graham Norman. Wasn't expecting that. Hi, Patrick. Remember me. Sorry about the email title, but I thought it would get your attention. I met Garwin Lamb, I know him as Charlie, who I've just spoken about, who he used to, used to be a trader with um, many moons ago, and he informed me that you were back down south. Um, another email. He is the dad, this is Charlie's, the dad of my daughter's friend, who came round, he came round to pick her up. We got chatting and it came round to Christianity, and that's where you came in. I'd say God clearly wants us to catch up. What are you doing on Wednesday? I can pop over to you if you have any free time. Well, he did. Graham, 14 years ago, when I was new as rector of St. Margaret's Chifstead, I was doing baptism preparation. Him and his wife were in New Zealand. They were coming back. His mum, her mum lived just a few doors away from us. They wanted a baptism in our church. I said, I'll do the baptism for the church, but you need to come and I need to share what it's all about with you and put on a little video and share the gospel. And they were like rabbits caught in the lights, I think, as they heard the gospel. And I was almost embarrassed to lead them to the Lord. So I said, well, you have to come back in a couple of days, uh, see if it's worn off. And they came back in a couple of days and they gave their life to the Lord. And some of you might have heard this story, but the same week, someone from um, America, USA, had come over exactly the same thing happened. It hasn't been like that very sadly for the rest of my ministry, but this is how it started there. They went back to New Zealand, joined a vineyard church, and uh, recently, uh, maybe not that recently, but they come back to um, this country, Graham, and he works for the Met Police. He's an inspector there. And um, I don't know what it's called, but it's like the Met Police Christian Union. There's two of them, someone that heads it up, and he's the number two of the Met Police Christian Union. And he said to me, Patrick, that uh, one of his great triumphs this year is every Met Police officer is given a Bible because it's got the Met Police symbol on it. Everyone wants a copy of this Bible. He said, I have the privilege um, when they're doing their training, I think at Hendon, to hand out a Bible to every police officer that joins the Met and it's completely okay for him to share a gospel message with them. He says, Patrick, you don't know how many people might have come to faith 
as a result. Time was short. They weren't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that and some of the things that happened subsequently. Don't, um, I suppose there's a saying, don't despise the days of small beginnings. We don't know what the Lord is going to do with it. Salvation is only found in Jesus, the resurrection and the life. He's the perfect answer to life and to death and to new life. What are your encouraging examples? Sadly, in life and sometimes in church, some of us all too often are on the receiving end of something that doesn't look at all encouraging at all. We call that discouragement. And the result is that someone, not in this church, by the way, not in, so I'm not saying it, but that's a fact. I've been in churches like that. You're an encouraging church, and I just want to thank you and bless you for that. But I'm going to say this anyway. Someone might be left feeling, if someone's got a gift of discouragement, <laughs> less confident. Some people don't have a high starting point in terms of their self-esteem. It doesn't take much to take people even lower or less enthusiastic, or less positive, or less hope-filled, less likely to try things and persevere. They're told um, that they are bad at something, or will never be able to do something. That has a lasting impact on our, our lives. Maybe people feel rubbish about themselves, their work, their faith, their family circumstances. Some people can always think of reasons why not to do things um, without giving us too much idea or thinking too much about what the opportunities are in a situation. It's important to scrutinise things and we need to ask um, for an ability to do this in the right way, in the right spirit, in faith, in hope, in love. I always remember, this is a bit unfair, my first small group leader, who couldn't cope with me very well, there's probably a litany of those, uh, but I used to ask loads and loads of questions, and when I got the faith, I was quite enthusiastic in those days, and, um, and I think he thought he had the spiritual gift of, uh, in me of putting out the Spirit's fire, at least that's how it felt to me at the time. He was a wonderfully faithful Christian man, but he's been there, seen it, done it, and picked up too many bad stories that he wanted to, like, like what's going on? Yeah, I didn't really understand very much, but I was enthusiastic about Jesus. How about a bit of encouragement? I resolved, and it's my desire, uh, even if I do get serious and seasoned in the gospel, understand things a little bit better, not to put out the Spirit's fire in other people. In the realms of spiritual battles, many in our culture rubbish Christianity and rubbish the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They frame faith in Jesus as a fanciful notion, even a delusion. If a church or Christian group or individual Christian believer can be discouraged, it's likely to stop them stepping out in faith and doing important God-ordained things. 
Extreme forms of discouragement include persecution, but surprisingly, this can have the reverse effect and galvanize faith in Christians and their Christian witness. Explain that one to me. There are too many good news stories to tell. Let's get them out there in the face of all this. And I think we might even have a, I don't know whether it's published in the sheet today, but it's probably something like stories at holytrinityclaygate.org.uk. If it's not published, I think it's an email address, isn't it? So whatever our thingy is, put stories on the front. We want to hear your stories and tell your stories about the good work that God is doing in your lives. It's good for you to bear witness. It's good to share those stories. The gift of encouragement uh, in a Christian context is the ability to inspire, exhort, and support others so that they're strengthened in their resolve and in their spirit to serve God wholeheartedly. I can deal with some of that. The gift of encouragement builds up rather than tears down. It nourishes faith, hope, and love in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift that needs to be given and received, and maybe it needs to be received first, like love, so we know what it feels like, in order to be able to give that to other people. Encouragement can bring a word in season. Genuine encouragement speaks truth and is not flattery. Encouragement requires us to notice people and situations so that we can be specific and therefore celebrate with others the things that are good and godly in their lives. And although there are troubles and challenges in life and with death, the gift of encouragement helps us to persevere and even to flourish. Turning to the passage, Paul's writing with his friends Silas and Timothy, and um, it's the three of them, although Paul often gets the credit, to encourage his Thessalonian friends and partners in the gospel. Thessalonica was in the region of Macedonia, northern Greece, and it was a significant Roman colony, a big trading post. Lots of people went in and through Thessalonica. Um, it was a multi-faith and um, multicultural setup, a little bit like London and the home counties, maybe. Many reckon that 1 Thessalonians, and this is an important point, is the earliest of Paul's letters, written maybe in around AD 51. To start off with, they didn't think they needed to write too much down, and they started writing down. It's thought it was, if so, it was written and before and shared well in advance of the book of Acts. And I'm going to quote from Acts. Thessalonians was written before this is quoted. Acts 17 records that Paul and Silas had been chased out of Thessalonica by the Jews, angry and jealous that they'd been making converts from Judaism to Christianity. Very naughty doing that. There was one big issue that the Thessalonians were facing that we, I think, struggle to appreciate and this made me pay a little bit more attention. They'd been waiting a long time, and what they weren't expecting is for believers 
to die before Jesus' return. They weren't expecting believers to die before Jesus' return. Because some Christians were now dying, they weren't expecting that, they needed a lot of assurance and a lot of encouragement to persevere in the faith, especially given it was sometimes a hostile environment. The early church were used to surprises. Although the life and work of Jesus was prophesied, much of it came as a surprise to them. Salvation was won out of the jaws of defeat. Jesus, their friend and leader, died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. They weren't expecting that. Jesus rose to new life. They weren't expecting that. The resurrected Jesus appeared to disciples and many others. They weren't expecting that. God sent his Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus then was taken up to heaven before their very eyes at his ascension. And they certainly weren't expecting that. Then God sends his Holy Spirit to empower all believers. Having witnessed all these surprises, it seems that the Thessalonians were waiting expectantly for something. They seem to have been assured that Jesus, having witnessed all they witnessed, was going to do what he says and return. Chapter 1, verse 10, they were waiting for the Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, the one uh, whom, that's chapter 1, verse 10, the one whom would rescue them from God's wrath, his judgment. They were waiting for something called the parousia, the return of the Lord. They thought it was going to be imminent. We, like them, live in the in-between times, a time after the resurrection and ascension, awaiting the second coming. This is a letter of encouragement to live in the light of Jesus and what he's accomplished through his death and resurrection and as we await his return. You know these words? They just sort of washed over me for years. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We don't know the day or the hour when Christ will return, but Jesus has promised to return and take people to be where he is. John 14, 1 to 3. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You who believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me where I am. So encouraging. Acts 11 at the Ascension. Needed to have been there maybe. But uh, just seeing Jesus take taken up into the clouds and an angel says why do you stand there looking into the sky I imagine him saying why do you stand there gawking this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven that's what they were waiting for and then Thessalonians uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 16 and 17 for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will be raised first. After that, 
We who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them, the dead and the alive in Christ together, in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What an encouragement. Jesus is coming to claim those who believe in him. First, those who've died in the faith. And then those of us here present and who are still alive in this world but have been found in Christ. We have put our faith in him. Now, on first reading of this passage, it's not such a great encouragement for those who have not found faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, with the delay of Christ's return, there is hope. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Verse 9. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The first part of chapter 5 is an encouragement not to worry about when Jesus would return, but to live by grace in a state of readiness. Because the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, people are to be ready and expectant. If you've found faith, you're not to worry. There'll be no unhelpful surprises for those who believe. Believers, however, are to guard their hearts and minds. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 8. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate. That's their hearts. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. That's an assurance that we know and we remember that we're saved. Verse 10. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, this is in faith and in Christ, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is a call to readiness for the church. Maybe it can also be read as a call to more urgency in our missionary task. Time is short. Life is short. Just want to share a, a few stories. Some of us um, were privileged to go to Ukraine just recently. Here's Vicky. Do you wave? Who else here went to Ukraine just recently? Some of you have been at other times. Would you just show, um, indicate, look around? There's a few folks who have been to Ukraine. Bless you. Um, for the seeds of hope and faith and encouragement that you've sown over many years. I think it's over 15 years in this church. But um, one of the, I get there and I've not got very long. And life's quite busy for me normally. And so I'm really keen to be getting on with stuff. And um, we did a little bit of talking, didn't we, Vicky? And preparation. And I can see myself getting a little bit twitchy because I really need to be getting on with stuff here. What have I come all the way out to reclaim just to sort of sit around? Um, and it wasn't like that at all. 
Um, but the first few visits, there was a small team of us went out to visit people in their homes. The first few were in two teams. Certainly my team, the first three people we visited, I think it was the same with the other group, were knocking on death's door. Um, one lady, I think she'd broken her hip. She wasn't coming out of that room. Her family hadn't got her to the hospital in time. Another lady living in quite uh, extreme circumstances, um, infected legs, swollen legs. She wasn't walking anywhere. She wasn't coming out either. Then another person, the same story. Now you find that quite depressing, but actually on their walls very often was a passage from Scripture and there were Bible study notes. And when everything else had been robbed in their lives, one thing that wasn't robbed from them was their faith and their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if they don't leave that room, the Lord has got a room prepared for them in advance for them to go to. We got to pray and hopefully to encourage them. One of the reasons for me going, I hope I'm not messed up on this one, was to be an encouragement to those that we visited and to the team that go out there sort of faithfully and to the church. Um, not all my visits were people on death's door. Um, one person I visited, it was the last visit one of the days in a, in a community that I wasn't going back to. A lady had left the, the church. Um, I need to be careful about what I say. It probably wasn't a good parting. We've seen more pleasant sort of leavings of church. She was upset with the church. She's upset um, with the pastor. She's upset with God. Um, she's very upset with her husband, who's decided to stay in the church for now and is helping to build the church, actually. And I had this one visit with her. The pastor thought he wanted her to come back to the church. So I talked I said, I could have been anywhere today. I said, time's quite short. I'm going home on a plane. And we've prayed about who to visit. I've come to visit you. I talked about the building of the church. And I talked about the church another way. I said, the church is not in, the church is incomplete. The church is meant to be a living thing with living stones. There's one stone missing, and that's you. And Lord's waiting for you to return shared the stories of the lost coins and the lost sheep and the lost son. She listened. She's angry. She knows that she'll be welcomed back. That'll take quite a lot of humility to be able to return. On, the, on my very last day, I managed to fit in another visit. We saw this guy who's an alcoholic. I think they tried to get him into recovery. He wasn't having it. His um, wife had died a year ago. She was a pillar of the church, full of faith and um, not helping his pain, I don't suppose, or his alcoholism at all. But again, life is short. Time is short. We can listen, beat about the bush, sort of pretend to talk about interesting stuff, listen, or we can talk about the gospel. And suddenly the thought came to me, and it's something that I've used before and I went outside the room and I banged on the door and I banged a bit hard and he invited me in and I went and I banged on his heart and Jesus says I stand at the door and knock anyone who hears my voice and opens the door I'll come in and eat with you 
uh, he was very much in denial. So this is sort of quite hardcore, not messing around really. Because we can just pretend that it's not important. But after being in denial about his alcoholism, he did come round. And I think he sort of prayed a prayer to want to pray the right sort of prayer, if that makes any sense to you. And prayed a prayer to want to let the Lord Jesus Christ into his life. I needed to back off at that point because it's God that does conversions and it's that pastor's church, not mine. Time is short. Life is short. I've come back to Claygate and there's quite a few funerals, I think, going on. One for a young dad. I've met his family. He's known to many, many in this community. He was a footballer, professional footballer. Dropped dead on holiday in Spain. No one was expecting that. Time is short. Life is short. How are we going to encourage one another to find our faith in the crucified, risen one who will return and take us to be with himself? The passage from Thessalonians makes it clear that it matters that you're living in a God-honoring way, in fellowship with Christ and fellow believers. In Christ and in Christ alone, you can be ready for the unexpected challenges of life. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. How can you encourage those of us with faith in Christ to continue to live in God-honoring ways in both the good and the challenging times? So how are we going to do that? <clears throat> Excuse me. How can you encourage others who are not yet secure in their Christian faith and in the Christian family to come to a realization of who Jesus is and that through repentance and faith be assured of eternity with God? When considering the question of encouragement, I conclude that I've never met any church member or church leader who has had their fill, their plenty of encouragement. Although many might struggle to admit it and admit that they need it, and some even refuse to receive it. I've never met a Christian whose life and ministry would not benefit from being able to exercise the spiritual gift of encouragement in greater measure. 1 Thessalonians 5 gives us some practical examples about how to exercise this gift of encouragement. And there's so many ways of doing this, and you can please add your own. But I don't think any better way just to tell you what Paul and his friends said. So here goes. Verse 12, I've got an echo. Hello. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we ask you to show your appreciation for those leaders who work among you 
and instruct you. This is not a poor me exercise. This is like just what the Apostle Paul says. But pray for and encourage all those who share the gospel, the preachers, the small group leaders, the children and the youth leaders. Verse 13, we ask you to love them and think very highly of them because of their work, of the work that they're doing. You don't have to, um, anyway, you work with that, but I'm just saying what it says. Live in peace with each other. Can I encourage you, if you've got any differences with other people, put your pride to one side. Life is short. Sort it out. <laughs> That's a good one. You can do hallelujahs as well from the back if you want. Verse 14. We encourage you, brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not living in the right way. So we instruct people in right living. Cheer up those who are discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Verse 15, make sure that no one pays back one wrong with another wrong. Instead, always trying to do what's good for each other and everyone else. Verse 16, always be joyful. Hard to do without the joy of the Lord being the strength in our lives. Never stop praying. Verse 18, whatever happens, give thanks because it's God's will in Christ Jesus that you do this. And uh, back to my first small group experience. Verse 19, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Verse 20, don't despise what God has revealed. By the way, it was a very good small group, so I repent. Um, don't despise what God has revealed. Verse 21, instead, test everything. Hold on to what's good. Verse 22, keep away from every kind of evil. As we wait for Jesus' return, let's continue to continually encourage one another to honor God in our faith and our hope and our love. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And let's use this Bible passage as a catalyst to ensure in as much as we're able, and it's all about uh, able to influence others, and it is all about God, that more people are able to hear and respond to the gospel and have their eternal place with God assured. Amen.